A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Before we start today's episode, a brief trigger warning. Vanessa's first source today includes the description of a homicide, and we reference it throughout the episode. So if that's something you don't want to listen to today, we recommend skipping this one. All right, on with the show. Hi, Real Question Pod. My name is Caitlin, and I wanted to share a story with you. I consider myself to be a pretty passionate person, a pretty buoyant person, especially in the workplace, as I'm a leader and have to collaborate with all kinds of folks. And I found last year really challenging, as I'm sure many of us did, and I found myself worn very thin And I remember one of my colleagues reaching out to me saying, hey, are you okay? And I felt pretty confident and candid in my no. Um, I was really not doing well. And I remember their reaction then being uh, somewhat taken aback. And they kind of shut down, which I then felt sad and embarrassed and a complicated mess of feelings when someone rejects your vulnerability. And in later processing that reaction with a friend, they said something that really resonated with me, which is sometimes people ask, are you okay? Not because they have the capacity to hold space for your answer, but because they are looking for their own assuredness in the situation and in themselves. After sitting with this for some time, I then had many other follow-up thoughts and feelings, which were complicated and also messy. So uh, I'm really curious to see what conversation unfolds. Thank you. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is The Real Question. Casper, I love this voicemail from Caitlin because this is exactly the fear, right? This is what is at stake for me today with this question of how do we answer people when they ask us if we're okay? So something I've been thinking a lot about is I have endometriosis, which is not contagious. And there Mm. are days that I feel terrible. And so I have to ask myself, like, can I call in sick right now? 
And I don't know, right? It's like if I'm throwing up, but I'm working from home, I can technically still keep working. And so like, what is the line just like within myself as to whether or not I'm okay? And then over the last year and a half, emotionally, my dad has been very unwell. Mm. And there were moments where I was really absorbed with that. And Peter very lovingly would ask me if I was okay. And I would sort of check and I'd be like, no, but I can keep functioning, right? I'm not Mm. sobbing right this minute. And so then I get concerned that what we mean by okay is that I'm like still capable of participating in the economy, which feels like the wrong barometer for okay. Hmm. And so this is just something I've been curious about. Like, what do I mean when I say I'm not okay, either on a work level or on an emotional level? What do I want from other people when I tell them I'm not okay? Like, why am I telling them that? What am I expecting from them? And I don't even know within myself when I'm allowed to be like, nope, I'm going into shutdown self-care mode. Mm. I am not okay. Oh, wow. I'm just surprised how that simple question actually is really, really complicated. Because I'm also thinking the way in which if you're on a street corner and a stranger asks you that question, that's very different from when your partner asks you that question, right? Right. So there's just all of these layers, both of how you're feeling and then also who's asking that question, who you're interacting with. And what you want out of them, right? Oh, say more about that. I mean, that even with Peter, right? You made this distinction between strangers and loved ones, right? Hmm. Even with Peter, when he'd be like, are you okay? What do I want from him? Do I just like want to remind him? Nope, Mm. still sad about the same thing I've been sad about for the last five months. Like, what does that do for anyone? Yeah. And there's this idea from Nora McInerney, a podcaster who I love, where she says sometimes the only thing to say is terrible. Thanks for asking. Mm. And I love that idea. But also, I like think that that hurts the people around you and sometimes right I think sometimes you're totally allowed to be like nope still upset thanks for asking don't want to keep talking about it but I do want you to know that I am still terrible but sometimes that's just like not helpful and so you go yeah I'm okay and that way dinner can progress pleasantly and you can just like live in a world where your burdens don't eternally become the burdens of your loved ones in moments that they can't make it better anyway. Yeah. I'm not going to make my like sad bowl grow and like engulf everyone else around me. It's like, no, I can stay in my sad bowl and like just be present with you. It's not that it's gotten better, but I don't have to make you get into my state with me. Right. And like sometimes you can and need to, right? Oh, 100%. <laughs> there was once that, you know, we were upstairs, Peter, the kids and I, and I got some sort of phone call that upset me and he asked me if I was okay. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just going to go downstairs. And I went downstairs mm. and he followed me. Mm. And I am so grateful because like I wasn't okay, right? Like, and he made it better. He just like hugged me and right, like and that was it. And he made it better. And so that was a moment where I was like, oh, maybe I should have said I wasn't okay, right? Because Mm. it was only his intuition and his goodness and the fact that he could tell that I wasn't that got him to take care of me. But it helped. And I 
I'd like to think it helped both of us, right? He got to feel like he had made me feel better and I felt better. <laughs> so I felt not alone and I felt loved and I felt seen. Yeah. And so that was a moment where I was like, okay, I'm not just inviting you into my bowl of sad to sit here with me, but like, I'm so grateful that you were here to make me feel better. So in this conversation, do you want to figure out more of when to tell the truth or not? Or is it more about like understanding your own feelings better to know what to say? So I think I want to know my own feelings and I'm curious how far I should take them Hmm. in both directions. Like when I should just totally lie and be like, yep, I'm fine. Even when I'm not, there are moments where it just super doesn't matter and like suck it up. And then there are other moments where Like, should I not schedule my life in such a busy way Hmm. because I have endometriosis and I'm never okay. I live with a chronic disease and I shouldn't have days that I'm in meetings for eight hours a day because it makes me tired and I feel sick for two days after. And is it actually acceptable for me to say my day is full when I've only had four hours of meetings on it? Or should I make rules in my life that's like, nope, I'm already traveling six days that month. Absolutely no to more. And just say, like, I have endometriosis. I get sick if I'm traveling too much. Mm. I don't want to be weak. I pride myself on being strong. And I don't want to stop being seen that way. And so how much do I want to communicate also of my okay and not okayness? So there's a lot wrapped up in this question (laughs) of am I okay? Like there's questions about your body's limits. There's questions about who you're communicating with, how you're communicating, when in the different stages of okay and not okay you're communicating. So I know we're going to need help from a text. And I'm curious what you brought with you. So the first text I brought is called I Am, I Am, I Am. And it is a memoir by Maggie O'Farrell. It came out in 2017. She most recently wrote Hamnet. She is a Northern Irish writer who now lives in Scotland, and she is incredible. And so this is her memoir where she outlines all of the different moments in her life where she almost died. It's all of her Hmm. near-death experiences. And what I'm quoting is the anecdote about her first near-death experience that she talks about in the book. And she is 18 or 19 years old. She is living in a caravan in the woods and is waitressing. And it's like her first taste of freedom. And she goes on a walk in the woods. And this man comes up to her and is creepy and puts his binoculars around her neck to show her something that's going on in a lake. And Mm. she doesn't like it. And She really brilliantly takes you into the psychology that I think is recognizable to a lot of us of you're dealing with someone who strikes you as scary for any reason, and you're doing this math of, okay, if I resist, are they going to get mad? Or if I give in, am I in more danger, right? Like she walks you through her thought process, but she gets out of the situation and it was creepy enough that she goes to the police and is like, There is a man in the woods who waits for women to be alone and is inappropriate with them. And this is the quote that I brought. So the policeman says, leaning heavily on papers, you went for a walk, you met a man, you walked with him, he was a bit peculiar, and then you got home okay. Is that what you're telling me? Mm. 
And she says, yes, but he's about to do something really bad. Two weeks later, she gets asked to be interviewed by the police. They're asking her, you filed a report a couple of weeks ago. We'd love to hear more about the man who you filed it about. And she interrupts in the middle of the interview and is like, he strangled someone with that binocular string, didn't he? And they're like, yep. (sighs) And so she was right that there was something about the situation that was not okay. Hmm. But this police officer says, but then you got home okay. Is that what you're telling me? And right, like she has to say yes, but the answer is no, she did not get home okay. She got home having just met a murderer and like knowing, and she says, right, like she grew up with a lot of violence around her. And so she was like, how do I say to this man, no, I can tell when someone is about to be violent. Mm. But she feels by this cultural moment, by this authority figure, that the answer to this question is like, yes, I got home okay. I'm so struck by the two different narratives about the same thing. There's the police report, which the policeman reads out, and she's like, well, yes, in a way, factually, that's true. But as you just said, it's also not true, because actually, I, I didn't come home okay. So I'm I'm curious, when you have felt that you have said you're okay, does it feel like, well, on the face of it, I'm able to do the things that you would want me to do, Right. Like, I'm just I'm just trying to find if there's those two stories that live at the same time in your experience as well. Yeah, totally. And I think that we've all had this right where someone touches you in a way you don't like and you're like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But it's not fine. Mm. Something that I hate that happens, I would imagine to all of us in crowded spaces and bars and concerts and stuff, if we can remember those, sometimes someone rather than like touching your mid back, will touch your lower back. Mm. And like those six inches start to make it feel not okay. You're like, nope, you've turned this into a romantic vulnerable moment and it's not your stranger, please don't touch my lower back. But you don't say that, right? Because that would start this cycle of escalation. Mm. And you're like, I don't wanna escalate this, but this person touching me in this way is not okay. And right, like we just don't say anything. We're just like, and actually often I feel like I then smile at the person like, okay, you're going by me, right? Mm. I feel like we all do this. And that is the situation Maggie's in where he forces her to say she got home okay, which I feel like is similar to that dynamic where you're like forced to smile at the person who's just touched you slightly inappropriately. This feels really important because it's not just an interaction between two people trying to figure out what happened. This is someone in a position of authority and a position to escalate, as you said. And so that theme of escalation is something I'm really interested in your experience with Endo. Like, what do you feel like the escalation could be if you say, I'm not okay? Like, actually, I can't work more than four hours today. I mean, a couple of things, right? Like, that it'll negatively impact our company, that men in particular will like see me as weak Mm. or that other people will feel as though they have the right to regulate what I do with my body, right? Like I hike a lot and I exercise and actually those things are really good for endometriosis, but it's like, well, how come you can bike for 45 minutes, but not do a meeting? Mm. It just feels like if you put up limitations that are different than the cultural norms, then you're under a different level of scrutiny. 
And so exactly like that amalgamation of men who touch your lower back at a concert, if I were to say, hey, don't touch me like that. And in fact, don't touch women like that. None of us ever like it. Mm-hmm. Like he would have the right to be like, well, then why are you in a public space? Right. Like all of these other norms would have to be scrutinized. I don't want to have to defend everything about my life. So I'm just going to like go in the flow of things. Yeah. And that I think is part of what keeps Maggie O'Farrell from saying to the police officer, no, Mm. right. It's like, what if she's wrong? What if this was just a man who like gave her the creeps? And yes, it was weird that he put his binocular strap around her neck without her permission and waited for her in the lane. But like, I don't know, maybe it was like harmless And so she doesn't want to be hysterical and she doesn't want this man to be questioned if he's innocent, Mm. right? It's like all of these calculations are going on when we feel like things aren't okay, but the rest of the world isn't simultaneously recognizing that things aren't okay. I'm really struck, Vanessa, how you describe that experience of like escalation and not wanting sometimes to escalate things. I mean, it relates back to Caitlin's voicemail as well of like how someone responds to your answer to that question can actually end up feeling bad, right? It can make you feel worse. And so whether it's someone disappointing you in how they respond, whether it's someone escalating to a point that you don't want it to be escalated, there's a whole other layer that I think you're helping me see from this source of Maggie O'Farrell's where it's like there's a danger in telling the truth. So I'm really starting to see the stakes in this question are so much bigger than just like do I feel like it? Or even am I going to be embarrassed by it? It it can be dangerous. Well, and this Maggie O'Farrell example, like is an example within an example, because she credits the fact that she behaved as though what this man was doing was okay with the fact that she Mm. survived. And, and who knows if it's true, but she was like, Oh yeah, look at the ducks. I got to go to work, but always behaved as though this behavior was okay. And therefore never tripwired him into anger. And she doesn't do this while like blaming the woman who ended up getting killed. But like, she's like, I think I in part survived because I behaved as though everything was okay. Wow. And so I really think, right? Like sometimes behaving as if you're okay is a survival mechanism. I mean, the stakes here are like literally life and death for for Maggie's story. Are there ways in which even at a less intense level that feels true in your everyday experience as well? I mean, it was certainly true when I worked for other people, right? Like in my last job before I started the company, I had to behave like I was okay a lot, right? Like I couldn't, I missed work sometimes because I was, I didn't think I could physically make it to work. I thought that I would faint while walking to work. But when I was anything less than that sick, I went, Mm. even though I was quite miserably ill. And right, like I was working for someone who like definitely wouldn't have cared. And like also having a job with a chronic illness, it's like people will find excuses to fire you. And like, I did not feel safe saying that I wasn't okay. I felt like my Mm. livelihood was on the line. And so yeah, I behaved like I was fine. I'm really hearing you point in this conversation to this idea of limits and and your body's limits, the limits of what you can do, what you want to do, that sense of missing out, the sense of disappointing people, the sense of looking weak. But I actually also think it's about something different because the Maggie O'Farrell text is so illustrative of a power dynamic. And I think the thing we haven't talked about 
yet, maybe, in this text is something about the way in which, as a woman, she's navigating a police system where women are not believed all the time, right? She's navigating an authority structure in some ways in whose self-interest it is to not take this seriously, right? Because if this policeman does take it seriously, it's going to be more paperwork. It's going to be a trip into the forest, and who wants to do that? Like, I'm projecting a little here, but I can imagine there's all sorts of additional elements to to this particular interaction that she experienced. And so the thing I don't want to lose is, yes, it's about you and your relationship to limitations, but it's also about the systems that tell us that those limitations are somehow wrong, And I'm curious how that feels as someone with a chronic condition in a world that isn't designed for people with with chronic health issues. I mean, it feels bad. It also, I mean, like this is not the next text that I brought, but if you'll bear with me. Bonus text. This is scene of Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Where a black man gets pulled over right by a white police officer. Hmm. And it's incredibly Hmm. tense. And he knows he's been pulled over for no real reason. But he has to behave as if this whole situation is okay. Because he doesn't want to piss off the police officer because that'll make it worse. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I just want to name like there's a racial dynamic to this, too. Right. Like Mm -hmm. and there's, of course, like white men don't feel like they can't say that they're not okay because there's like a machismo. Mm -hmm. This is just like such a toxic thing that impacts everybody in different ways. And so I just wanted to name that. Mm -hmm. Maybe as a white lady, I actually get to say it more than other people. Maybe I'm actually sort of like the highest on the availability totem pole. So we're not going to compare suffering because I think that doesn't end well for anyone. But I want to ask you in this kind of meeting between limitations on one side and then systems that put in expectations on another side. Like if we were to take away that second category, what would it look like for you to thrive and live within your body's limitations, as everybody has limitations, what would it look like for you not to feel like you had to lie and say, I'm okay, when actually you're not? No idea. I don't Could know. Could there be more hours in the day? That's what I yeah, feel like. <laughs> I know. It's hard. I think it would look like a period of like really trying to pay attention and like notice myself and be like oh Mm. when is it that I don't feel okay and is there a pattern here but it like constantly experimenting is also annoying for other people right like (laughs) I've been trying to be gluten-free lately because there's like a theory that endometrial tissue is less inflamed when you're gluten-free and I was just at a wedding and like Hmm. I had to explain to everyone why I wasn't really eating and one guy was like that's not real and another woman was like it was and I was like ugh and then it was like this whole conversation which I understand because I was at a wedding eating a kind bar and like (laughs) that's a flex right like that's a move so like I understand why it was a conversation and also like I didn't ask for everybody's opinion on it Ugh, especially people that you're seated with where you're like I don't know you and I'm never gonna see you again and like this guy was like there's a blood test for celiacs and I was like well there's actually a recent study about inflammation of endometrium like I don't wanna what like so weird and so like I just want to pretend yeah. I'm okay and just like eat at a wedding isn't that yeah. just easier than feeling yeah. better a hundred percent of the time, maybe it might be easier than feeling healthy. So it sounds like sometimes, actually, even if you're conscious that you're not okay, 
and even if you're not engaging like a an authority structure that's you know doing one thing or another like it still makes sense to just be like no i'm fine like i know i'm not okay but i'm actually not going to communicate that to you because i don't want you to have to do anything with your feelings about how i'm doing i think it might be time to transition to our next text because i think it's sometimes not just you know, helpful and like smoothing social norms to pretend to be okay when you're not. But I actually think there are times where it's outright virtuous. It is like a good in the world, a moral good in the world to pretend that we're okay when we're not. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So tell me about this second text. I'm going to say I'm coming in skeptical. Yes, I am bringing, I really think one of my favorite films, the 2015 Kenneth Branagh, Lily James, Cinderella. Wow. I've never seen this movie. Oh my God. It's so good, Casper. Helena Bonham Carter plays the fairy godmother with these like fabulous fake teeth. It's so good. It's so good. One of your Game of Thrones guys is the prince. (gasps) Oh, my God. Is it Richard Madden? I don't know. I love him. Great. So the scene I'm bringing you is so Cinderella's father has married the wicked stepmother. Lily James is living with evil stepmother Kate Blanchett and her two evil stepsisters. And the scene I'm going to play for you is when a servant comes to the door, a servant who had been traveling with her father, tells Cinderella that her father is dead and her evil stepmother and stepsisters are behind her. So what you'll hear the stepsisters first, having received this news that their stepfather has died, and then you'll hear the stepmother with her response, and then you'll hear Cinderella's response to this news. But what about my lace? My parasol. 
you see, none of that matters. We're ruined. How will we live? Thank you. That must have been very difficult for you. So the line that I want us to really look closely at is thank you. That must have been very difficult for you. Hmm. And I will say like she is like calmly crying, right? It's not like she's completely stiff upper lipping this moment, right? Like she can't help herself. Her eyes are tearing. Hmm. But I would argue that the stepmother is the one who has responded most authentically, right? Like she's not okay. It is not okay that this man died. How are they going to? support themselves and is honest about it is like we're ruined this is not okay and i'm gonna say it's not okay we're ruined but i love the move that cinderella makes which is turning around to this man at the door and saying thank you that must have been very difficult for you Mm. because his humanity still exists and if she were to collapse into his arms and start sobbing like what is he gonna do Mm. right so i just think that Acting okay enough and not making it about her is this really beautiful, generous move. Vanessa, I'm reminded of the just the snippet you shared up top in this episode of like, you know, when Peter asked you, are you okay? And you were with the kids. And I think that's an interesting addition in the context of this story. And you basically said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm going to go downstairs. And you know, you said one thing and you did, and not not that they were competing, but like it was clear that going downstairs, you know, taking a little bit of space indicated that you did need a little caretaking. You were planning to do that yourself. I'm just wondering if there are moments in your own life where even though you're the one right receiving the bad news, as Cinderella is in this moment, or you're the one who is in pain or something is not okay, but you're still taking care of other people that you've done that and it felt right, like this is the morally right thing to do. Because that's what I'm hearing you point to in Cinderella, that this was the right thing for her to do. Yeah, a friend of mine just had a wedding (laughs) and she had to call me and tell me that there was a COVID outbreak at the wedding. Mm. And like, obviously my immediate concern was for myself and it was a breakthrough breakout. Like everyone who had been getting it was vaccinated and I'm vaccinated. Mm -hmm. But what I said was, oh my God, I'm so sorry. That is so horrible. Mm. Like, is there anything I can do to help? Right? Because Mm. it's worse for her. (laughs) Like she just got married. And the first thing she's doing after her wedding is calling all of her loved ones and telling them they might have COVID. And like, that's not how anyone should have to start their marriage. And I'm only worried about me. She's worried about 200 people. And then I turned around and told Peter, right? And was like, I might have COVID. But like, absolutely, I should not have responded to her being like, what? Oh my God. Yeah. How would that help anyone? Yeah. Well, in that story, it sounds like there's a hierarchy of needs. That that sense that someone else, right? Like your friend has just got married. And so to put her needs first and then your needs second. But in the Cinderella text, Isn't it the other way around? Like, it's her dad. Like, okay, it's her stepmother's husband. But the stepsisters, like, and this messenger guy, like, fair enough. But, like, he's just the messenger. Like, she should feel okay about being like, no, it's about me. 
Sure. It's about hierarchy of needs, but it's also about like, what do we want from one another, right? My friend, what would I want from her if I was like, oh my God, oh no, I have to go get tested because <laughs> these are the implications. Like that doesn't help her. It doesn't help me. Whereas me saying, how can I help? Like maybe there actually are things I can do. 200 phone calls are a lot of phone calls to make. Like, yeah, and yeah. I know 10 people at the wedding. Do you want me to call those people? Mm. Is there a mass email I can send? Right. Like, so it's also just about like knowing the realities of the world. And like, first of all, this man was her father's servant and probably loved her father. Right. So like he had a loss mm. and just like, what would she want from him? <laughs> like, what's he supposed to do? feel bad that he like let her father die like <laughs> so hierarchy of need but also just like reality yeah so how do you put that into context then in your own experience with endo or other you know anything really is like i guess yeah what's the reaction that you want from people either when you say no i'm okay even though you're not and in the moments when you're like no i'm not okay i mean my favorite reaction from people when I have to say I'm not okay is one that you've given me. It's like, okay, go, mm. right? Like you're absolved to excuse yourself. Cause right, mm. especially with endometriosis, I know how to take care of myself. And like, what I need is to be lovingly excused, right? Like we'll make it up. We'll record another talk, you know, like, don't worry, you go. And like, that is what I need. Mm. But the other thing is like, I guess I'm just curious about it's just like okay to set up some limits and then just like not just like hide hmm. right like tell the few people at not sorry I don't do meetings more than this I right like but to the rest of the world just be like sorry I'm busy This is really interesting I think Vanessa because it distinguishes like who needs to know in part because the way they're going to react is going to be different Right. right. Like the people in your life, the people who love you, the people you work with, like we're all aware of the different needs that you have as you are of the different ones I have and everyone else in that, you know, that closer circle. But I think you're so right that like, you know, they the accountant, they don't need to know and they actually don't need to know why you're not available or why you can't do something. They just need to know that you're not going to be there or you're not going to be able to do the thing. There's something powerful in this because you're getting to choose or you're getting to draw the line about who needs to know what. I don't, I don't know. There's something empowering in that, in the, at least in the way that you were telling it, that feels like in some ways often we overshare. I like I feel this often when I'm emailing someone. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I have to cancel this meeting, blah, 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 this reason, that reason, that reason. And I have just started deleting 70% of what I've written in the email to be like, I'm really sorry, I can't make this meeting today. Um, if you feel the need to reschedule, let me know. If there's something urgent that I can do by email, please let me know. Thank you. And it f I feel like a bitch when I send that email. I really do. I, I don't like it, but I'm I'm pushing myself because I'm like, why does this person need to know that there's a doctor's appointment or that this person needs to know that like actually my, you know, whatever has happened. Right. And maybe it's easier for them because then they're not like stressing or worrying about like suddenly you're dealing with someone's email which is like my sister is in the hospital and you're like oh okay yeah like that's actually maybe not helpful i know i think that i've just like gone through phases particularly with my endometriosis like at first i didn't tell anyone at all why i was canceling mm -hmm. and that harmed relationships right yeah. yeah like people were like okay you've become a flake like you just cancel at the last minute all the time and i didn't want to be like 
well, I'm afraid I'm gonna faint in the car. So it's actually important for safety that I don't get in the car. And now I feel like I've erred the other way or like I'm worried that I have that I've just been like, Hmm. because there is something about radical honesty, right? Like it's a very compelling thing of like your feelings will be less hurt if I tell you this is a physical limitation of mine. It has nothing to do with you. So it's just like this cycle of like how honest to be, who to share what with, Hmm what we owe other people, do we owe them what's going in our lives or do we owe them like, you don't have to know what's going on in my life. Yeah. So Cinderella makes a decision to say, thank you. Like she's physically demonstrating, right? Like she's crying. She's upset. She's just received the news of father's died, but she's kind of making the decision to be like, thank you and leave, right? Like you don't need to stay. She isn't like, overly generous about it no she's not like thank you do you want to come in can i get you a cup of tea yeah right like she's like thank you that must have been so hard and then she closes the door yeah she moves into self-care mode that feels really important yeah Mm. and then she goes downstairs right and like hugs the baker who she's close to so Mm. yeah i think that you're pointing us in the exact right direction that like She is gracious to this person who, like, can't help her and then goes and tells the person who can hug her and can help her. Mm. And so there Mm. is this, like, choice to it. Yeah. So there's some relationships or some people where the right thing to do is be like, okay, thank you for letting me know that must have been hard for you. And then some people where it's like, no, this is the person I can really share honestly with what's going on and by the way it's also the context in which you are with that person right are you in front of like three thousand people and there's cameras on you while you're with that person i hope not for cinderella right like secret paparazzi (laughs) yeah (laughs) she becomes the queen she does become the queen oh my god literally cinderella this is a real problem she has to navigate (laughs) (laughs) but right like she goes down says it's a private moment like that's where she feels able to share that So does that feel true that it's like about who and where you are physically with that person? Yeah. And I think that if we're bringing Maggie O'Farrell back into it, the thing that always feels bad is when someone else tells you you're okay and you're not. Uh, Right. When uh, he's like, you're okay. And she's like, no, I just came here to tell you that I'm not okay. Right. And he's like, so you're okay. Or right when the man touches your lower back and he's essentially Mm -hmm. telling you this is acceptable behavior and you're like, no, it's not like that feels gross. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when someone else is telling you you're okay and you're not, Mm -hmm. that is a place that I think we have to question and be like, can I sit with that for a moment? I don't think I am okay, sir. Even like the police interaction is so gross because he's twisting her words. Totally. That feels like a whole other level of like, you know, he's heard something and then he's saying it back to her. I mean, it's classic gaslighting situation. Yeah. So that's when it's never right. That feels really clear. Right. So one final question, which is, so when you are with people that you, you know, you have that closeness with, you're able to share with, you, you know, you feel safe with, are there still times when you don't say that you're not okay? Or, or do you feel like you can always be honest? 
such a good question. I guess I feel like I always can be honest. It's about whether or not I should be honest hmm. or, or like be honest about my ambivalence. Like, yeah, I'm okay enough to record, I think, but like maybe I'll have to leave in the middle or like when Peter, right? Like, why didn't I just say to Peter, like, no, but I'll just go downstairs. Right. Yeah. I guess that's how I feel. Hmm. I also am like super pro suck it up. And maybe that's just like gross and old fashioned of me. <laughs> like maybe the answer is to sometimes use the Nora McInerney line of like terrible. Thanks for asking, but let's work anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, what's suddenly striking me. It's so funny. This word. Okay. Is supposed to be actually that exact middle ground. Like, cause there's good and there's bad. And okay is, I think, supposed to be the word that would allow you to say that. Right. Of like, actually not good, but like, okay. (laughs) Right. And it doesn't mean that anymore. And we need a word that describes exactly what you were just saying. Yeah. It's like, I am capable of continuing. Thank you. Or like, I'm not good, but I don't need any caretaking right now. Yeah. First of all, I don't know what that does for the other person. And second of all, I have lovely friends who will then be like, are you sure? I'm like, (laughs) yeah. So when it comes to my health, I think I'm still unsure. Yeah. I think I need to push myself on that. I think that the, the times in my life where I feel really comfortable being vulnerable with friends tends to be of the, oh my God, this is so annoying variety. It's rare that I get more vulnerable than that, even with close friends, unless I'm literally throwing up or fainting, right? Like, or sobbing in the bathroom, right? Like the moments where I can't help but share. Mm. And I wonder if there's actually a benefit to my sharing with friends, like the, I'm not okay, but I'm okay enough. Mm -hmm. Like, let's move on. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable though, that idea. Like, I don't like it, right? It's like showing weakness. And then you can't really control what they're going to think about you. And ugh, I probably should, but I don't like it. Mm. The thing I'll just say as a friend, the thing that is helpful about that response is like, then I know that the best thing I can do is just to carry on. And like, I'm not going to ask you more questions about it. I'm not going to be like, would you like a glass of water? <laughs> but like in in a way, what Cinderella does so beautifully is like, she's clear. She's gracious and then she's clear. And I feel like that's kind of what I'm hearing you say is like, I'm I'm telling you the truth because I care about you and I want you to know what's going on. But I, I also don't need anything from you. And in fact, it's annoying if you if you start to become like Nurse Casper. Please don't stay. Yeah, exactly. Like it may be time for you to wrap up, even though we've only just had the first course. Yeah. <laughs> I love you reframing the Cinderella moment because I've always seen this as like, a radical form of graciousness. Hmm. And I think it is, but I also think it's self-care. I think you're absolutely right. Hmm. And I think that that's essentially what I did in that Peter moment, right? Where I was like, okay, like I'm not going to make a scene up here because I'm capable of getting myself downstairs going to self-care mode. Yeah. And the other thing that I think was important about that is that if he felt like the kids needed him, he had Hmm. permission to not follow me right so it was oh that's so true only if he felt capable of taking care of me would he come and he did and Hmm. i guess i just think even when we need care it's important 
to wonder about whether the other person also needs care. Yeah. But I love that you're pushing us to this, like Cinderella is also taking care of herself and potentially going downstairs and getting what she needs. And I think that is something I really want to push myself on is the, I'm okay, but like then going and getting what I need. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, I would like to thank Kenneth Brana for directing this version of Cinderella as if it was one of his Shakespeare plays. I just feel like he takes this text so seriously and I really appreciate it. And the costume designers on Cinderella for making that beautiful light up dress. Anyway, I also want to thank Maggie O'Farrell. Everybody go read I Am, I Am, I Am and Hamnet and then call me. I also want to give a shout out to Carol Cavan Dillon from Nashville who left us this beautiful little maxim. Be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Yes. Right? Exactly. So tell them you're okay. (laughs) You've been listening to The Real Question. We can only make this show thanks to your support. So if you have the means to help us out, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. And if you love the show and already support us on Patreon, in which case, awesome, you can also leave us amazing reviews. Just, you know, rave wherever you can review this podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Real Question Pod and on Twitter at The Real Q Pod. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We're edited this week by the fabulous Malika Gumpankum. And our music is by Nick Boll. We're distributed by Acast. And a special thanks to Caitlin for the voicemail this episode, to Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Molly Baxter, Stephanie Pulsile, and all our patrons who this week will get a compliment from me because they are stunning. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.